What's the crowd in the garage? I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Small soldiers, motherfucker. <laughs> Small motherfucking soldiers. May go boom. Or not. This movie should have been massive. Right? And it, but it did solid numbers. It didn't. And I guess, I guess because I guess over the years I've talked to people and they don't know what the hell I'm talking about when I bring this movie up. Joe Dante's small soldiers came under the, the DreamWorks banner. So, you know, there was a certain amount of tie-ins to sponsorships and, and, and that kind of thing. Cause you know, they're trying to sell merch all the time. And this is one of those movies too, where I think that, you know, Joe Dante's a perfect choice for a movie like this. You know, and there's a really good reason why it feels so much like Gremlins. There is a Gremlin structure to this. And there's lots of things like a, a shop and these little things happening, terrorizing human beings in a town. And it's just, I'll say this now, I'll say at the end of the show, Small Soldiers and Gremlins is the perfect pairing. Right. But this movie is so much fun, man. And I think you're starting to see a, a pattern with us in the movies that we're choosing where we're getting movies that you may have heard of, but never saw or haven't seen in a long time. But the casting things were, is where I'm kind of going with, where you're seeing familiar faces and then people on their way up and people, and, and you get your, your mixed bag of, of uh, vets in there too. No Joe Dante movie would be <laughs> a Joe Dante right? movie without his cast of regulars. And they're here. They're all here. Everybody's here. Absolutely. Whether in person or voice only. Yes. Now you got your Kristen Dunst in this. You got you for, for small appearances, you got your Jay Moore. But like let's talk about the, the the Joe Dante regulars that we talked a little bit about this before. Dick Miller, first and foremost. He probably he's probably the one that gets the most play in it, right? Have the out of the regulars. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh Wendy Shaw is in this. Bob Picardo. Bob, Bob, Bob Picardo. And that was, by the way, I want to point out something that I fucking loved. And again, this is a Joe Dante special, right? You see it earlier in the movie. You see the name. And when uh, Jay Moore is trying to find a computer chip to put in these toys that he created, you know, to make them a little more interactive because the boss, Dennis Leary, doesn't like the fact that they're making commercials that sell a toy that doesn't do the things that the commercial says it does. So he wants some realism. So the co-creator of these toys, Jay Moore, is looking for chips. He and David Cross, the guys that created this. And as you noted before, Dave Cross looking like a very young Bob Bacardo. Well, dude, like I told you before, like when, when the first shot, when, it, you know, that opening sequence, when, uh, you know, they're, they're scrambling around and you, you first see... David Cross, I was like, man, Picardo looks fucking young. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, that's David Cross. God yeah. damn it. How did I forget that? And then you, you've got them shoved in that board and he's doing some, you know, he's doing a very, I mean, it's David Cross because he does his own thing. But like, dude, there's a movie out there. There's, there's a lost opportunity or maybe there's a lost movie if we're in luck where Bob Picardo and David Cross actually played brothers on the run. Right. From werewolves. Yes. I can, I'm glad you said the werewolves thing because now here I come with this. When Jay Moore is looking through the computer trying to find some chips, he finds his chips, these military chips. And whose name is attached as the manager? Ralph Quist. You know, you know the name Quist because that's the last name of the family of werewolves. From the colony. From the colony in The Howling. And guess who plays Ralph Quist? Bob Picardo. Uh, Bob Picardo. <laughs> it's funny too because you don't see Bob yet. You don't see him till later. 
Yeah, right. You know, I almost forgot about him. I'm just like, where, where the fuck's, where is he? Right, because, and you're reminded about him the whole time because every time you see Cross, you're reminded of him. Yeah. You know, like you also mentioned, uh, Belinda Belaski's in this, Rance Howard, but you got, but like, is he, Archie Hahn. So many wonderful, wonderful people that you see in Joe Dante movies that remind you that it's a Joe Dante joint. No matter how much it, moments of this movie feels like a little studio kind of grabbing a hold of it and making it not so much that there's a lot more uh dante joke in jokes than, than you might think at first i mean the, the big one is right up front where what is david cross's password gizmo <laughs> gizmo yeah right yeah yeah fucking of course jay moore can't remember his right and and david cross <laughs> is like gizmo what part of secret you know it's that whole bit dude yeah jay moore is like uh, oh gizmo because of course what could be an easier word to remember than gizmo in a joe dante movie right 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 talk about the crossover with gremlins anyway and we talked about the casting in this again to get the regulars mixed in with the new, uh, the up and coming actors like like mentioned Kirsten Dunst, Phil Hartman is in this playing the neighbor, and oh my gosh, man. playing Kirsten Dunst's father. Yes, and he, this is um, and I always when I got to the end of the movie, I remember there being something at the very end. I can't remember what it was, so I'm like, so I fast forward past the credits and get to the end, and it's just great little outtake. So please make sure you watch the end of the movie to get to that point. Where's a great little outtake where and then he says his line, and he basically asks Joe Dante, "Is like, is that too much?" And then Joe says, "You know, no, Phil." Out of the black says, "For Phil," and this was that was actually his last performance before he passed. He's great in this. It's so nice to see him playing this kind of fun character and not being that annoying character he was like in something like Jingle All the Way towards the end of his career. House guest. House guest. <laughs> but like that was that's, that was Phil's thing, you know. He was a play yeah, annoying man, totally. guy. But this he was annoying but not super annoying. Um oh shit, I forgot to point this out too. So again, we're talking about Joe Dante specials. Well, he's back on the street that he did the burbs on and he's blowing up that fucking street too. <laughs> yeah, man. Blow that fucker up. I you know it's funny because there's a lot of people on their way up. Like this is one of the first big movies for Dennis Leary. I mean, he's not in it a ton, no. but you know, Dennis Leary shows up. Uh, you know, Kevin Dunn wasn't a household name yet, right? But right. you know, there there he is basically playing Shia LaBeouf's dad. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, what what ten years uh, or ten years before the Transformers? I'm only, uh, probably like six years. Yeah, probably. It, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. But it but it is, it's it's totally the same thing. The the relationship between the father and son in this, you know, Alan and uh Alan and Stuart, the father, Kevin Dunn. They're very much the same characters that Kevin and Shia LaBeouf play in the Transformers movies. At least the yeah, first one. Absolutely. After that, they're like super. Sure. Big, they're super buddies. After that, but of course, let's finish praising the cast because one of the things I always love about Dante's movies is Dante. Dante casts the best person usually for the role, not yes. like, hey, this person's going to bring. Because, dude, Anne Magnuson and I love Anne, dude, and yes. she is so awesome in this movie. And that's the Dante thing. I, I'm sure that was the Joe thing, right? That, yeah. That was no, like, nobody at DreamWorks said, hey, what about Ann Magnuson? <laughs> nobody said that to Joe. No. Joe said it to them. I would I would put money on it. Even you and I talked before we got a mic about uh, and her, her being a regular on Anything But Love. And at this point, that show was over. So it wasn't like yep. she was, she was recognizable. Right. She wasn't of, a buzzword. Right. Or she wasn't like in the conscious stream of you know, television America. So we just got done talking about all the people that you see on screen and you see 
the real people, Dick Miller, Bob Bacardo, uh, Kristen Dunst, Kevin, Kevin Dunn, Rance Howard, Rance Howard. But now we get into the legends that we have that are handling the voices of the figures in this, of the, the Gorgonites, the, the Gorgonites yeah, and the commando elite. Fuck dude. What a stroke of genius, by the way. Right. Yeah. Of having the, the commando elite voiced by the cast of the dirty dozen. Right. And Bruce Dern. And Bruce, Bruce Dern. Dern. Well, because, yeah, because unfortunately. There weren't in that. Yes. Richard J. Cole was. He passed uh, before. He had already passed. He passed before they started shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. And then, uh, you know, Frank Langella. And here's the I've I've talked about this movie before. I want you, I love it. I've seen it seven, eight times. I had no idea until you pointed out to me that Frank Langella did the voice uh, of Archer. You know why? Because it, there was a point where I was like, I mean. I always knew it was Frank Langella, but I never made the connection before. There's a point where he's talking to, um, to our little buddy, uh, Alan, Alan, right. And he's, you know, Alan, Alan now showed up. Uh, but, uh, where (laughs) he's talking to Alan and I was like, I swear to God, he sounded like Dracula. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, out of all the characters of the, of the Gorgonites, he's the one that's actually got sharp fangs. Yes, exactly. And that's what I was going to (laughs) say. He sounds exactly like Dracula. And you look at him and you're like, oh yeah, well maybe, maybe there's a little of that in the design. Again, I would, I would, I would almost say that's, that's Joe Dante. That's, that's Joe, you know, and his love of uh, cinema and, you know, all things movies, you know, maybe Joe weighed in a little bit on that, uh, you know, once they got, you know, Langella locked in to be the voice of Archer, you know, I mean, there's so much fun stuff about this movie. I mean, Look, let's just say, so you got Ernest Borgnine as Kip Killigan. You got Jim Brown as Butch Meathook. <laughs> Dern as uh, Link Static, the comms guy. George Kennedy as Brick Bazooka. Yeah. And uh, Clint Walker as Nick Nitro. And then and then the Gorgonites are voiced by fucking Spinal Tap. Yeah. Man. I mean, good God, dude. You get Chris Guest and then Michael McKean, Harry Shearer. It's so right. fucking great, dude. Yeah, man. And this time, this is 98 when they're doing this. And so you get, you get your production 97 post and early 98. Also, at this point, Miss Sarah Michelle Geller is becoming a household name because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Her and Christina Ricci do the voice of the Gwendy dolls. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. I'm just going to yeah, leave it. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. leave it there. Just let it lie. <laughs> One of the things I found interesting and do a little research about the movie after seeing it, and I didn't know this until recently, this doesn't surprise me because of being a massive fan of Joe and you can actually attribute more to what I'm about to say, probably uh, being somebody that has worked with him directly. He's always a guy that will kind of let the polish be there because he knows he, it's like a little, he's given a little bit of slack because he has to get his movie made. But I feel like this was a much darker movie than, than what we got. And I did a little research. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. He was looking for an edgy movie with with teenagers. Then, but then you know, DreamWorks started saying, you know, we need to have sure product placement in there and bullshit like that, and sell toys and everything. We got to be in McDonald's and Seven Eleven. We need our cups, our Slurpees. <laughs> and then uh, Joe was saying that there was supposed to be mostly Stan Winston and their puppets. And by the way, dude, oh, fuck yes, right. I was gonna mention that. I got to give them serious props because, and, and, and because, and I don't mean like, <laughs> I don't mean like props on a set. Winston's puppets and the CG mixed together magically like they did with Jurassic Park in the same way. Like going, there's moments where I'm like going, you really struggle to see, wait, was that, was that a puppet? 
or was that CG? There's a couple moments where you, you, no question, you know, which one's which. Right. But for the most part, it really works. It doesn't, it never feels inauthentic. It always feels solid. But through this, this quote, I found that it was originally supposed to be a majority. It was supposed to be the puppets with very little CG in there. And as it turns out, it ends up he his quote was saying it's like one third it stands puppets and the rest is CG. But the original idea was to do it mostly with the puppets. But like I said, it works really, really, really well. And I gotta think that it probably came down to some cost a little bit too. Oh yeah, um, at that point it was just easier to you know you didn't have to have all the puppeteers on set. You know, right? Somebody made that decision. There's a moment in there on a bike where where the commando elite in this case, that's something else we haven't said his name yet. Tommy Lee Jones is the, is the head of the commando elite and right. chip hazard. He has Clint Walker playing a Nick Nitro go after the kid in this and go after Alan. And he hops on the back of Alan, Alan's bike and he's trying to, he's trying to get, get Archer who was in the backpack. There's your other gremlins tie in is the dog. Yes. Oh man. I love when the dog shows up. I'm like, yes, Perfect. Right. But dude, that moment, what I'm talking about is that marriage between the puppets and the CG is so fucking good, dude. There's moments I'm like going, and I didn't catch it till this time. And I'm like, wait, is that a CG? Are those CG feet that are pedaling? I didn't catch it. I've never seen it before until I watched it this time. It's so clever and how they did it. It almost feels not so much like it feels like CG. I just knew that it wasn't real. I felt more like it was miniatures. Like if, like, like it was something that ILM would have done back in the day, but that's what I mean. It's those moments like that, that give you just enough of that. Oh, it doesn't feel real. You get enough of that fantasy where it it doesn't take you out of the movie. It still reminds you that you're watching. It doesn't remind you you're watching a movie in a negative way. It just reminds you like you're still kind of enjoying the fantasy that, that these things are real. It's one of my favorite moments of the movie is just watching how it all plays out. But like you said, like you've said before, this movie is very much like Gremlins. Alan is is Billy through and through. Yeah, he's not a fan of a lot of people, and his, he doesn't have a troubled relationship with Hoyt, like you know, in, in Gremlins, like like Alan has with 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 uh, with Kevin Dunn in this. No, his his trouble is really with Flo <laughs> in Gremlins. Is he's really right. having trouble with with her because she doesn't like Barney. Because <laughs> she's happy. she doesn't like Barney. By the way, I want is. Is Barney Barney in this? No, he's dead at that point, right? No, Barney, that, that, that dog would be, I don't think that dog would be up to snuff to be chasing that uh, <laughs> but, bike down the street 13 years after Gremlins. No, he's a lookalike. Yeah. <laughs> but he looks just like Barney. Yes. I mean, yeah. it, it made me laugh when I saw it because I was waiting for him to say, Barney, go home. I, I don't think he I think he just says, <laughs> dog, go home or whatever. Yeah. But and, that dog is a ringer for Barney. Oh, and yeah. I, I'm, it's intentional. Yeah, 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 for sure. Something else too. And I didn't hear about this. Wasn't there a lawsuit at one point? Didn't somebody try to sue Spielberg for this? For like there was like there was some kind of like student film or something like that that was going on film festivals and it was kind of like a like a like this where oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was called Ode to G.I. Joe. And it was like this this homage to to G.I. Joe. And there's like and it has animated G.I. Joe figures, but it's like the old ones like you used to play with, not the little ones. Right, the ones you could shave and fuck up, shave their beards into goatees and yeah, mohawks. Yeah. Right, which is more like how the Commando Elite and the Gorgonites are they're more modeled right. off of that. You know, remember, because they used to have that that peach fuzz hair. <laughs> dude, you could totally shave it into a mohawk. You know, it's funny, dude. I, I just thought about it when we were talking about it. 
the, one of the best jokes in the whole movie is his name's Chips Hazard. And the whole problem that makes this whole movie go batshit is those goddamn chips. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> those fucking computer chips. The writing on it. You had Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio who were like a, a commanding duo back in, in the 90s and then in the early aughts, right? Because, you know, they're the ones that end up launching the whole Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. But you, you know their Correct. names from lots of other things. But then Adam Rifkin was also brought in to do some punch-ups on the script too. And um, it, it shows, it shows that there is kind of a mixed bag. You can tell there's a lot of, a lot of writers involved in it, in that it feels a little, I don't want to say disjointed at times. It, it, there, there's moments where you can feel those moments. You can feel when, when there's been, you can, you can feel the rewrites. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It almost feels like that thing when you see, a new cut of something after it's gone to a preview audience and they've gotten all the surveys back and they make adjustments. That's what it feels like. It doesn't take away from the movie. It's just that you and I have so much experience of seeing different cuts of things from assemble edits to first cuts, to second cuts, to preview audience edits and stuff, right? That you, we notice that we we we're a little more sensitive to those changes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is, there, yeah, there, there's some, uh, I don't even want to say it's pacing problems. There's just sometimes the tone is a little, you, you, there's tone shifts. Yes. I agree. They were also on a very specific timeline for this movie too, because like, again, this is that time where <laughs> nobody, they never learned back by the way, in that, in that time frame. they didn't learn with blade. They didn't learn from spawn. This is that time frame where, they're counting on CG, but then they didn't realize they didn't, they forgot render times and how long that shit takes. Oh yeah. And but this movie, the the teaser poster had a very finite date, July tenth. <laughs> they they couldn't yep. escape the release date. That was it. And DreamWorks was so new because at this point, DreamWorks is like five years, four years. Yeah, somewhere around there. This is this is very early on. Yeah, this is very early on in the DreamWorks uh, yeah. catalog. This was a pretty big movie for them because there's no faces in it. Oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't like, you know, when they first hit you with with George Clooney with Peacemaker. Right. You know, they first hit you with that where, oh, that's a face, you know, that guy's going to put people in the seats. I would say the biggest face in this movie at the time (laughs) was Leary. Yeah. Like when he shows up in that, you know, he's the first person at the time who I recognized because Kirsten Dunst had been in an interview with the vampire, but right. you know, she was, she's not really the star of the movie, but like David Cross and Jay Moore, they weren't the guy. I mean, I feel like Leary was the, hence the reason he's only in two seats. <laughs> right. He was probably the guy that, you know, let's get Leary. Cause he was probably the busiest at that point. You know, he was doing the, even the I think the ref came out shortly around this time. He right. was doing TV and, Stay, you know, he was still doing stand up, but everybody else and maybe Hartman, but even Hartman wasn't like, yeah, there, there's not a big star in this movie No, that we can see all the big stars. We can only hear. Right. That's why Tommy Lee Jones is on the poster. For, you know, that I mean, they, they even styled <laughs> chips right. chip to look a little like a young Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, I agree. Circa rolling thunder days. Yeah. <laughs> it's really a weird, it's funny that they dropped this in the middle of the summer, right? Right after the, yeah. you know, 4th of July weekend, this is, this comes right on the heels of that. Yeah. And I mean, it made it, what, would this make 80 million? And I remember it being fairly successful, yeah. you know, but I mean, I, I'm betting that, you know, they, they were thinking, you know, this is going to, you know, they were hoping 
hundred plus. Oh yeah. Right. You don't, you don't drop, you don't drop it in the, in the middle of the, of, of your summer action. Cause at that point in July, mid July is always like you get, like you said, 4th of July is a, was a big movie week weekend. Sometimes they would start at Remember, That's when, by the way, that's when it started like around this time where movies started opening on Wednesdays. Oh yeah. And they would, and they would say, Oh, here's your, here's, here's our weekend dollars. I'm like, man, you started on Wednesday, man. You didn't start on Friday. And that's of course eventually led to the whole. Sure. Almost every movie doing their, their Thursday night thing. And that became a regular thing. Preview. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but I agree. 87.5 mil is not what they anticipated, not when they're dropping a movie the week after 4th of July weekend. And here's the thing, dude, this movie opened in the UK in June. So they were, this is when the time too, they were fighting piracy, but the, but it's VHS piracy at this point. Right. This is when you could walk down Canal Street <laughs> a week after the movie count and buy a copy of it from the dude on the corner in his suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> The idea that this movie came out five weeks before it hit the States is, was such a weird thing. And, I, and at the time, there was no real internet as far as it, it was there. It was starting to build up. There were some chat rooms on AOL, that kind of thing, right? Netscape. But you weren't, but they weren't like, it wasn't enough to sandbag a movie or stop people from seeing the movie. The movie did its dollars the first week or two, right? Maybe three mm-hmm. weeks. Yep. And then after that, that's the thing too, is that 87 and a half million. I mean, I'm wondering how much of that, you know, came for those first four and a half, five weeks of being, you know, international before it hit domestic. I, I feel like this is like, like the rest of the movies that we're covering this month, even though it did respectable dollars, this really found its way into, to people's home video. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Totally. I would say this movie became a bigger hit you know, because of the home video market. It's also, this movie is kind of like that mean cousin that we all have. Don't always embrace until you've kind of, until, <laughs> you know, he shows up and he kicks somebody's ass for you. Cause this is the mean cousin to toy story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. Could the toys in this movie, they would absolutely obliterate yeah. the toys from <laughs> toy story. I mean, poor Woody and Buzz Lightyear would have their heads shoved up their asses by these guys. I feel like that's probably the other reason maybe this didn't get a sequel is because it didn't do nearly what Toy Story did. I always make that joke. There can be only one. Right. Well, sometimes it goes for franchises too. And Toy Story 2 must have already been in the works by the time Small Soldiers was released. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it takes you, oh, no, no. Because it takes you three years to, to get, uh, for Pixar to get these movies made. Right. Yeah. You know, and we would see Toy Story 2 the year later in 99. Which means it was already in the bag pretty much. And they were tweaking the shit out of it for a year. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and the development on it started almost instantly after they, they wrapped up the, the first movie. Right. They announced a sequel in the spring of 97. So they were already like, yeah, they were already going. And the thing is at that point, it takes them a little, you know, for those who aren't very familiar with how, you know, with CG and everything, since now the majority of the characters that you see in Toy Story 2 were already created inside inside the box for the first movie. So it's not, they don't have to spend time in designing anything. Now they just have to spend the time creating it and, and then rendering it all out. So that's why they're able to turn it around so much quicker than it did for the first movie because they spent so much time doing the first movie and creating all those elements that they can now just reutilize. But yeah, you could definitely feel, and, there, and I think there's, there's a little homage too, a little, an eye-waking thing to small soldiers in 
Toy Story 2. Maybe it was the third one. I can't remember. One of them. It's were, the one where the, they have the green army man or the, where the green, is that, I, I don't, I don't remember that. That was the I don't first remember movie. the Toy Stories. Yeah, were the, they? The, yeah. They're all confusing to me. Yeah. I can't remember what it was, but there was a little, a cute little nod to it. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's a, it's a fun little way of putting it. This is that mean cousin that you see once every couple of years. Yeah, family reunions. <laughs> yeah, family reunions. <laughs> Who shows up and maybe he has a little too much liquor and, yeah. you know, he gets into a fist fight and <laughs> throws one of the younger kids in the pond and shit at the, you know, at, the, at Elk Grove Park, if that's where you're at. <laughs> right. Let's, let's lean some more on the cast too and, and the performances. I'm glad the kid playing, and I don't know his name, I didn't look it up. The kid playing Kirsten Dunst's boyfriend. I'm glad he wasn't a total dick. Yeah, totally. He, they didn't make him. Yeah. That would have been so obvious, right? Right. You didn't have to go there because look, there's already bad guys. It's, it's the commando elite. We, we already have villains. We don't need more. Yes. And we don't need it. We don't need him to him being a punk to Alan just so he can turn around later and go, Oh man, you're my buddy now. You know, like it yeah. happens in almost every fucking movie. Right. The cast works so well together. And if there's any performance in this movie that I'm bummed about, is this this? I want Ann Magnuson in this movie more than she is. I want her more. Yeah, totally, the, right? You know? And it just reminds me that she's missed right now. We, I wish she would just be in more stuff. And I think what people realize, she's probably a little more particular about it, but hey, people out there hiring, you know, actresses, talk to Ann Magnuson because, dude, she fucking makes everything better. Yep, agree. Oh, something else too. Um, in that Joe Dante interview, when he was talking about the the use of CG versus Stan Winston's puppets and stuff, apparently there's a whole bunch of stuff of lots of action and and scenes like that that were taken out of the movie prior to release. So they had like they had one final edit before it got released, and it said that there was a whole bunch of really popcorny moments. It sounded like to me, I'm like, so you're dropping a movie like this and on July. Well, sorry, June 4th for international. And then a month later in the States, how, why would you take out the thing that makes popcorn movies in the summertime popcorn movies, right? Yeah, it's funny, man. Uh, it seems like to me, if this movie were to come out today, you'd get all that stuff back yeah. into it. I mean, this is another movie I hope that Shout. Oh, yes. Because it's universal. It's universal and Shout. They have sort of a symbiotic relationship, I feel. Like if, if I was to go through and look at a bunch of their titles, I bet they're all originally universal. Yeah. Like they did a great job on that Burbs yes. release that they did with Joe. Right. I mean, I feel like, I don't know where, you know, I don't know, maybe Joe doesn't want to talk about small soldiers, but I feel like there's a, I'd love to see a reassemble with all that stuff put back into this movie. Cause I think this movie's fun already. Yeah. I, I read a couple, you know, I read Roger Ebert's and Roger Ebert's big, big problem. I know. <laughs> so violent and every, you know, but I mean, again, I, I never was like afraid. I felt the violence in this and the, the threat was the same as it was in Gremlins. And it was all kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. Even though, you know, sure, it's a little dark, maybe. I don't know, man. It's PG-13. I don't think that it deserves any more than a PG-13 rating. I mean, when I was 13, I would have dug the shit out of this. I would have pointed something funny since you mentioned PG-13. You know what's really funny? When you see the MPAA rating at the end of it, it says PG. I know. I laughed. and But it really is a PG-13. How fucking weird is that, right? There's such a stickler thing. So that makes me think something. It makes me think maybe they got their PG rating after the cuts. Maybe. And the PG-13 was what we can only still have the rest of that action still in there. It would make more sense to me. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little confusing. Yeah. You're right though, man. The, this movie would really just benefit from that. By the way, and I mentioned the burbs earlier and, uh, and you mentioned just now with shout doing that great release. Oh, this movie was released exactly 10 years after the burbs. Right. And I, th- and I love the fact that it was done, you know, it was on the same street and everything like that. It was just, just like with all Joe Dante movies, it's charming as fuck. It really is. And uh, I also, gosh, I, I'd be remiss if I don't point this out. Jerry Goldsmith's score and the needle drops. Dude, I was going to, I was going to get to the needle drops because <laughs> this is the anti, what we were talking about with empire records and reality bites and can't hardly wait. This is a movie where they went literally specific old school yeah. tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get you get war. I mean, and all of them, basically, every time we see the Commando Elite, it's a bang, it's a moment, and we're getting that exact needle drop that defines the action. Yes. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of totally opposite. It's like, okay, this is where they went back and they cherry pick from the past as right. opposed to like try to push new bands. But they're all perfect. Everything about that, like you said, you you got your war in there. What else you got? Uh, love, your love's a battlefield, of course. Right. It's it's super cute. My city was gone. Yep. Right. That, but it's that, but it's that rad, cool Keith remix that came out right around that time. It's a Butcher Brothers remix, and I don't, and I, I don't know. Is it available on the soundtrack? I don't know, man. I have to. I don't know, man. But it's super great. Yeah. I and um, what else? It's got. It's got Tom Sawyer and it. it's got another one bites the dust, which is also a very specific soldier, small soldiers remix. Yep. Um, that Wycliffe John did, which is funny because when I was listening, you know, when the, when the remix came in, I was like, cause I've always thought that another one bites the dust sounded exactly like Sheik's good time. Yeah. <laughs> good times. But when you're hearing that remix, it hundred percent sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and then that's another the cool thing about that remix too, because Wycliffe John's on there and Proz is on there and freeze on there. It's like so great. The Cult's Love Removal Machine. Yep. Um, Cheap Trick Surrender. It's like everything, all the songs, except for Spice Girls Wannabe. <laughs> God, dude. Every, everything is tied. I love this song. <laughs> everything is tied to war and, yep. and, and or the moment like there, like having Surrender play when, it, when, when they play it and Love Removal Machine play when they play it. And the best part, and again, I wanted, and I already said, I, I can't already dance around this and I won't say anything more. Because they talk about Led Zeppelin early on when they're kind yep. of when, when when Kirsten Dunst is you know connecting with our lead, talking about her Led Zeppelin being her favorite band. Communication, mm-hmm. the use of communication breakdown in this. Yeah. <laughs> Again, <Dude>. I, <laughs> it's you know Joe, uh, Joe Joe is a big music guy as oh, yeah. well as you can tell. I mean, you know, in all of his movies. The other thing I was going to say is shout. You know, shout's got to do this, man. Come on, they did matinee as well, right? Uh, and that dude. We talked about this during the event horizons. Uh, you know, we, we agree on this aspect. It's probably our favorite shot release. Yeah. Um, event horizon, but matinee is a very close but second matinee and the burbs. They're so right there, yeah, dude. They're so totally. right there, which says a lot, how much we both love those releases and how good that event horizon. That's how good that event horizon was. <laughs> just so you know. Right. But I mean, look, it, yes, yeah. Exactly. Everything about this movie works so well. Like I said, because it, for the most part, you don't you don't notice those tiny little things, right? We like we talked about. Um, one of the things I also want to point out with the, with the needle drops in this and and the versions of the songs you hear in this when Spawn came out, 
the, the, the feature, not the animated show. No, no, I know she's falling. No, no, I'm Blake saying this for the audience. <laughs> they had one of the best albums where they were mad. That guy was so smart. They were mashing up metal bands with, oh, yeah. with electronic artists. And I thought that was so clever. Um, not unlike what they did with Judgment Night. I was just going to say, rock and rap, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Blade 2 soundtrack was the same way. Um, where they met, where they were marrying EDM with with rap artists, which was really good. It's, it's the same kind of thing. This whole soundtrack is like that. Yeah, like you said, you do hear war in this. You 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 get those things, but everything we mentioned, every one of those cl- songs that you you know, love is a battlefield war. My city has gone from the pretenders. It's all remixed versions of the versions that you heard, and with this new new twist on it. And it wasn't shoved down your throat like it is in those other movies. No, I mean, there's some funny, funny moments, like, right, where you get the cue from, you get the school, you get the main theme from Patton when uh, yeah. when, when Chip <laughs> steps in front of that flag puzzle on the wall in the toy store. I mean, there's so much, I mean, if you're paying attention, this is a movie, again, and this goes, this is a rule, all Joe Dante movies need to be seen more than once yeah. to absorb all everything in the man. They're so multi-layered yes. with jokes and nostalgia. And, I mean, that's one of the things that makes Joe's movies so great is the care and love of the craft that go into all Joe Dante movies. Yeah. And I, I want to point out too, that, you know, when you, you mentioned that the Patton theme right there, that was Jerry's also. And they, it's, it's one of those few times, it's a rarity, right? To, to have somebody score a movie and then reference a classic, you know, cue like that. And it happens to be his too. Yeah. A lot of times you hear those classic, the dude was around forever. Oh yeah. We're coming up on 17 years since his passing in July. I can't believe it's been that long since, you know, Wow. his stuff is so good. So when you get that patent cue, I, I wasn't until it happened that made me look it up. I forgot that he had done the score for patent because his name always shows up in all the movies I grew up on, you know, in, in the early eighties through the early nineties. And all we, he became a staple. Goldsmith was the best man. He was really, really awesome. If this isn't something you've seen before, you really should just, you should see it. And man, it seems to be everywhere right now. I, I, yeah. It's on prime. I think it's on Hulu also. Peacock. <laughs> peacock. It's probably on Tubi like everything else is. Is it on Peacock? And there's something else too I want to point out. Very unusual. You guys all know how we are about, <laughs> about our aspect ratios and everything, right? Yep. Joe's usually a 185 guy, but this is 239. And it is in the proper aspect ratio it is, on Prime. It is on Prime. And I was like, I was very relieved to see that it was in proper aspect ratio. But it, but right away, I go, well, I was very surprised because like a lot of his movies, he's a one eight five guy. He yeah. needs, and because he has that intimacy. But you know what? This is that's something else that this isn't normal for him, and that it's very action oriented, which is not a usual right. Joe thing. And, and I feel like this is probably something that they were like, you know, we're gonna put it in the IMAX <laughs> this summer, Joe. What do you think of that? Yeah. And I, I kind of Great. feel like there, there might have been a little bit of a mandate from DreamWorks that we're going, you know, we want this like more cinematic than your usual stuff, maybe. Yeah, totally. Possibly. Because I, I think Looney Tunes, I'm pretty sure about this, right? Wasn't Looney Tunes uh, 185, wasn't it? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, it's 239. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a big, broad movie. Yeah. Oh, I saw it at the Egyptian because that's where we did the cast of Crew screening. By the way, matinee was 137. 
Yeah, weird, right? Yeah. Like matinee, dude, is yeah. Fuck, dude. Look, if you haven't seen <laughs> if you haven't seen any of these Joe Dante movies that we're gonna stick, we have to stop or we're just gonna make this gonna be a four-hour episode. But I mean, again, there's so there's so much more to Joe's catalog than Gremlins, yes. Piranha, and uh The Howling. The Howling. <laughs> so and Shout has picked up two of the best and put together excellent packages for. So I'm hoping that small soldiers will get the same treatment from shout. I hope so too. But like you said, man, and I know we lean on shout a lot, but no joke. There's nothing that Joe has ever done that I just haven't been completely enamored of. And, and if I was hard pressed to be asked who my favorite, who my favorite director is, I have to say his catalog always brings me joy. Always, always, always. Yeah. And I know we talked about that when we were doing bearing the, our bearing the X commentary and you had so many anecdotes that when you hear how Joe is, you know, that you, you just like, of course he said that, of course he said that, of course he did this because he just seems like that fucking cool. Since we're talking about family get togethers and family reunions and that crazy, right. he's your cool ass uncle. He's your cool fucking uncle that says, Hey, but he knows, he knows the rest of the, he, he knows everybody's secrets. Yes. <laughs> He's the guy that turns you on to Zeppelin when you're eight. Yeah, totally. He's the guy that turns you on. You know what I mean? Right, dude. And I get that from Piranha all the way to his segment in Nightmare Cinema. Do you ever see uh, his Masters of Horror episode, The Homecoming? Yes. I find, dude, I, there's nothing Joe has done I don't dig. No, that's exactly what I was saying. It's like going, he's he represents our youth. Because you, you, when, when, when you wanted to, when you stayed up late, you ever, you, you spent the night at your buddy's house and you stayed up late and you watched Piranha because, oh my gosh, we get to see boobs. Yeah. Right. But he's, he was there at our, <laughs> and when we were going through puberty and he's here now as we're watching our kids go through it. I didn't even know. I mean, I don't think I know who Joe Dante was the first time I saw Twilight Zone, the movie, but I could tell you back then that the best episode in the film was directed by Joe Dante. I would say, oh yeah, man, it's the one where they sent him to the cornfield. Anthony, oh God, Anthony. Oh, you're such a wonderful person, dude. My brother and I used to quote that shit all the time. All the time. That, 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 that's all, Ethel. Okay, here's the thing. I love the Twilight Zone, the movie. I love it, love it, love it, love it. I especially like George Miller's. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. But it, those are the two they're, best. They're, they're all good. But no, nothing makes you go, even if you said you had a blind taste test and didn't know who directed anything and you went. Oh yeah. You would know Joe's episode. You know Joe's, that's it. That's it, man. That's the point. And it doesn't feel, we talked before about people having homages and, and, and putting all these little winky moments and stuff and not maybe having their own voice. His voice is always there. His voice is always there, no matter what the premise of the movie is whether it's the whole, right? Or it's, by the way, that's another one too. Damn it, people. If you've slept on the whole. Oh yeah. That's another fun movie, man. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have, that that love Joe Dante's work like like we do, that have never seen it. And they go, wait, is that the one Shia LaBeouf? By the way, we are going again. <laughs> right? No, man, that's The Holes. Don't mistake the two movies. The Holes is, is a sweet movie. I like it. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Holes and you Directed by Andrew Davis. Yes. Speaking of of Tommy Lee Jones, Under Siege, The Fugitive. <laughs> and Code of Silence with Chuck Norris. All those things, Andrew Davis. 
above the law. <laughs> dude, that's right. We hate it above the law. That's right. Cause it's all the Chicago people that are, that are in. Yes. <laughs> dude, it's exactly <laughs> the same cast as code of silence. <laughs> same story. It's amazing to me the way Joe's voice comes out at you in Twilight Zone, the movie, when you have heavy hitters like George Miller and you have Spielberg and you have John Landis in there. It's amazing to see his voice come out and go, yes. Okay. Yes. Spielberg segment, 100%. You can tell it's Spielberg. It's, it, it feels like, it feels like 80 Spielberg through and through. Yeah. But nothing says to me, if I would have said, is this someone trying to be Spielberg? No, when I see Joe Dante's segment, if I didn't know he directed, I'm like, damn, that's Joe Dante. There was like, there's no, there's no winky eye. Um, I'm trying to be Joe Dante kind of thing going on. That's Joe. And you know, it is well, yep. for, obviously for the actors that are in it too. <laughs> right. Speaking of Kathleen Quinlan too, she's, I think that was my first movie yep. I was introduced to her in. I think. For me, it was American Graffiti, but yes. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, but when I'm hit puberty. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't know about American graffiti. I didn't know who she was. Like American graffiti was my mom and dad's movie, but you know, I didn't, I didn't learn to embrace American graffiti till later when yeah. I figured out what an awesome movie it is. But yeah, yeah. Kathy Quinlan, it yeah. would definitely be Twilight Zone, that episode for me. I, I feel like, you know, we did this a little bit and we, we really struggled. And thank God we were watching, doing a commentary for burying the X because I really felt like we would have done what we did in this episode and it became about Joe Dante. <laughs> yep. Exactly. But honestly, and I kind of was saying this earlier, there's nobody that has represented more joy in my life of, uh, of watching movies and embracing the, the, the movie world and forgetting whatever shit was on my mind. Yeah. The test or some girl that I liked when I was, when I was a teenager, than Joe's work. And if it comes down to it, man, if you give me a top 20 list, I guarantee you, man, the scales tip more towards him than anybody else. For sure. You know, one quick thing before we wrap this episode up is they set this up perfectly for a sequel at the end. Yeah. When the Gorgonites get in the little Viking boat. Yes. And they head off down the river. Two things went through my mind. One was set up for the sequel. Yep. The second one was they all die in a Viking funeral. Right. <laughs> I was waiting for Alan to fucking flip a Zippo into the fucking, no, not really. Uh, but yes, they set it up perfectly for a sequel. And then we never got that sequel, which is. And, and you know what? It was funny to you. You make that joke about Alan and the Zippo. Um, we didn't, if you don't know this, he gets in trouble. With, one of the reasons yes. why he's got a problem with his father is because he set his school on fire. Yes. So, That's what I'm getting. Yeah, no, no, I know, but I'm, I'm making, the, I'm making yes. the connection for the audience of the event. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. Very good. But yes. Uh, or now, know, that, dude, how about this? How about now? How about a limited series where we pick up from where we follow yeah. that boat down the water? Dude, come on. The return of Chip. Hey, Matt Winston, get your legacy effects guys together and start pitching this because- you know, your dad did such a, in his shop, did such amazing work and all the puppets in this, you guys could do it all the way, man. And I could just, can you see a nice six to eight episode arc uh, on Netflix with this? Yeah, sure. HBO Max, somebody like that, man. Peacock? This movie almost got remade. On Peacock? <laughs> this movie almost got remade by Fox years ago and, and where, and Justin Lin was, was going to, uh, direct and produce. And uh, it, it took a long time to get going. 
eventually, you know, the, the sale from Fox to Disney kind of like killed it. And along with 200 other projects that usually happens when acquisitions like that happen. But I don't know, man. I don't know if this is something that could be remade. The story can, can continue because, man, if you got money to spend on some mall soldier, don't remake it. Continue it. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's push it forward. And the thing, think about all the voices. Yes, of course, you're not going to be able to get all the voices, but you can get a lot of the voices back. And the thing is, you killed off all the dirty dozen. Oh, characters. Yeah, dude. Now there. you go. Now you go with the soldiers from Platoon. You get Willem Dafoe, Tom Berenger, John McGinley, and you put their voices with the with the new updated uh, Commando Elite. Yeah. This, and then Charlie Sheen. Yeah, because all the Gorgonites are still around. Yeah, totally. Damn. Yeah. Small soldiers, it's everywhere. If you want to pick it up on Blu-ray, it's super cheap. It's like eight, nine bucks, something like that. Yeah. Again, if you don't have it in your catalog and if you if you if somebody doesn't collect, you know, optical discs anymore, if that's cool, it's right there staring at you, man. It's right there ready for you. And maybe maybe we will get that shout release, that special release and force you to have to buy it. Yeah, man. Come on, shout. Let's get that thing. Again. Asking again. The shout, the gods from shout. Again. Again. So if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, I'm at Corey underscore Cope. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters, as always. And it's a little still on point too. When we do a Patreon episode, sometimes you're a little bit extra there. You know, that's a little bit different than what you get out in the general release. It's not always longer or, but there's sometimes there's extra bites, little anecdotes in there that we put in there to kind of keep it. Uh, sometimes there's uh, fun little things that we do that maybe go against copyright. <laughs> or, yeah, or or we just or we're just trying to keep the shows down to a decent. Uh, yeah, you know, we're trying to keep these things under decent, under forty five, fifty minutes, and sometimes <laughs> they go a little bit long, and you'll find some of those longer episodes there. I mean, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Letterboxd under the moniker Tom Cody. That's Tom Cody at Letterboxd. Cody. Okay.